I'm Daniel Middleton, and I'm here today in the studio with Ingrid Kielstad. Nice to be here. Welcome, Ingrid. First time in the studio. Thank you. So, uh, Ingrid is Sustainability Lead at Zero Lab by Clubness, and you've been with Clubness for more than a year now? Yes, time flies. I joined uh, Clubness in February 2021, and uh, prior to that, I spent several years working on policy and regulatory affairs, Lived and worked in Brussels for uh, six years in total, working on uh, European regulation. Uh, I've been with the Norwegian Ship Owners Association, and also prior to joining Calvinas, I was working in a small investment company, investing in cleantech. Wow, yeah, so it's uh, six years abroad, but you are Norwegian. I'm Norwegian, right. yes. Uh, so tell us about Zero Lab. Uh, what, what is it all about? I mean, is, is this a lab where you're cooking things up, or... Uh, Give us some give us some background. Yeah, so Zero Lab is uh, is a new initiative. Well, you know, a year old initiative in uh, in Klavnas, and uh, it was set up with the ambition to help us think about how to uh, identify commercial opportunities within decarbonisation. So we are looking at uh, business model innovation. We're also looking at digital services to bring more transparency into the supply chain uh, from the from the cargo owner's perspective so that they can better identify where they uh, where their emissions hotspots are uh, initiatives that they can do to reduce and compensate for those emissions so those are some examples of, of things we do uh, we also you know run workshops uh, internally and try to identify new areas to to work on to help accelerate the decarbonization of deep sea shipping mm, yeah so yeah it's a little bit of you know lab uh, and creative uh, work there as well, but also very customer-oriented and also trying to uh, to act on feedback that we get from the market. What are the problems people are facing when it comes to decarbonization of shipping and how can we turn that into an opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. And you've been collaborating with other business units at Clavness, right? Yes. Uh, so you have some mutual customers through Clavness Digital, I know, and uh, Clavness Combination Carriers. So uh, that's yeah why I invited you here today, <laughs> and uh, I thought you could give us a um, yeah a bit more of an introduction, but also talk a little bit about uh, something you did recently uh, for for the company through Zero Lab, which was this article towards the aluminium industry. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Cloudness and and uh, KCC do a lot of business towards aluminium. So, I, what I liked about this is uh, that myself, I work in communications and I am not an expert on decarbonization. That's why we have you. Uh, but I, I mean, I have some basic knowledge and, and some of that came from you because you launched a, an academy at Cloudness, mm-hmm. uh, which maybe we'll talk about in a future episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but coming back to this article, you... I wrote, it was called Five Sustainability Questions Your Supply Chain Strategy Should Be Asking About Shipping. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Correct. (laughs) Good. Uh, And can you tell us a bit more about the background for for writing this? Yes, sure. So, you know, decarbonization is really high on the agenda uh, within the aluminium industry, as in many other industries today. And uh, we were invited to write a piece for the journal uh, well, an industry publication, actually, Aluminium International, mm-hmm. on the role of shipping uh, in, in the supply chain the strategies. And in Zero Lab, and also in Klavnas at large, and in Klavnas combination carriers, 
uh, I think we've been rather vocal about the importance of customers stepping up to become partners in uh, decarbonization. And I like to think that, uh, yeah, this was a result of that uh, call to action. So we were, you know, asked to elaborate more on that and what that could mean for the aluminium industry. Mm, yeah, perfect. And uh, in this article, you you said that Bill Gates has taught us five questions about any climate solution to assess if it's worth the investment. And by, by applying a few tweaks to that framework, mm. then you basically applied that test or looked at how that test could be applied to any given supply chain Mm -hmm. to ask, is changing your strategy in favor of low-carbon shipping worth the effort? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where did you come across this framework by Bill Gates and did it work in the context of this question? (laughs) That's a good good question and and obviously uh, Bill Gates, uh, his five questions are very much around, you know, where are the biggest sectors that are emitting the, the highest share of emissions? And he's asking some good questions about, you know, what technology to prioritize when we look at uh, decarbonization. But I thought, hmm, but that way of thinking can also be used uh, in shipping and looking at the various sectors we're working on. So what I like about the Gates framework, uh, he's also elaborated on this in a TED talk, mm-hmm. is that it really helps us to approach industrial decarbonization uh, in a structured manner. So, uh, you know, if we were to stand a chance to reach net zero by 2050, I think uh, we need to focus on the big sources yeah. of emissions, and that's what this framework really helps us to do. So, basically, it's asking us to keep an eye on the big numbers so that we focus uh, our decarbonization efforts on where the most impact is to be had. So, the first question you should always ask is basically if the efforts we undertake will impact in a meaningful manner the 51 billion tons of CO2 that is emitted annually. And uh, basically, if you can impact, you know, 1% of that, it's meaningful. It's going to make a difference. And then it's something you should actually do. And I think, you know, if you look at uh, transportation as such, uh, ships, planes, trucks, they are responsible for around 16% of global emissions and uh, driving change in the sector in transportation in general is really key if we are to reach uh, net zero. And then I thought we could go from there and drill down into shipping. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the way I, I've, uh, what I really liked about it is, is this kind of high level uh, look uh, at it uh, in shipping. So I thought we could just go through those five questions. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of run me through again and run our listeners through uh, what you yeah, what you had to say. <laughs> so shipping, you just talked about sixteen uh, percent uh, for transportation of that fifty one billion tons. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much of that comes from shipping and and the aluminium industry? Mm-hmm. So shipping uh, emissions they are uh, around three percent of uh, global emissions, and the same is actually uh, the case for the aluminium industry. So both shipping and okay. aluminium uh, each represent around 3% of global uh, emissions. You know, when I ask that question, sometimes to people I get between 2 and 3%. Yeah. So yeah. closer to 3, is that your...? <laughs> I think we can say closer to 3 now, and it's uh, also you know likely to, to rise. So uh, I think we can say closer to 3, but uh, you know it will depend a little bit on how you calculate. Yeah. And uh, as other uh, sectors also decarbonize, that share you know could uh, increase even more. So we're also uh, facing a rise in the uh, seaborne trade, so we need to keep that into to account as well. 
So while shipping remains one of the most carbon efficient uh, modes of transportation, I, I feel like we should always uh, say that because it's difficult yeah, to find yeah, a more definitely. carbon efficient way to transport raw materials and, and goods. It's still crucial that we invest in uh, in decarbonisation so that the absolute emissions do not uh, increase. Yeah. yeah. But of course, you know, uh, also trucks will eventually uh, go electric and uh, I think we as uh, any other sector need to like keep an eye on the ball and, and keep reducing our emissions as well. Yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah, let's just uh, talk a little bit about what you call these types of emissions. You call them scope three emissions, yes. like the indirect emissions from from your supply chain. So maybe you can just kind of walk through uh, that a little bit. Mm. Um, anyone listening is, is not fully familiar with scope three or wants mm. more information. So for most companies, uh, shipping emissions are so-called scope three emissions. And all companies have scope three emissions, irrespective of whether they mm. use shipping services or not, because these can also be referred to as uh, value chain emissions. And for many companies, they represent the majority of that organization's total greenhouse gas emissions. So if a company wants to understand the carbon footprint of their uh, products and commodities, they need to conduct an assessment of scope three. So how much uh, do we emit throughout our value chain? Uh, so unless you own the ships yourself, shipping emissions will always be part of your uh, scope three. Uh, and uh, what can be a little bit confusing with scope three is that they, of course, overlap with the scope one and the scope two emissions related to direct emissions and electricity usage. But this kind of overlap can also be seen as a way for companies to collaborate. So, uh, you know, what's the scope one emissions for a shipping company will be the scope three of the, mm. of the cargo owner. But that means that both have an incentive to work together to reduce that footprint. Yeah, yeah. And if we uh, if we kind of drill down even further here, and we talk about uh, shipping as a uh, a small share, let's say in the big picture, a small share of an aluminium company's total scope three emissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, in your uh, opinion, you know why do they need to have a plan for it right now? And if there are other parts of the supply chain that are producing high quantities of emissions, mm-hmm. uh, which I know some people will. Mm. focus on uh, and deeper cuts can be made in those parts of the supply chain why should they be focusing on mm. on uh, a smaller share right now and also when we look at the industrial companies you know many of their or the larger share of emissions are often from their own production so then they will yeah. think you know we should focus on on that instead of our scope three and which is understandable but you know even though shipping emissions uh, they constitute a small share of an, of an aluminium company's total scope three emissions i think it's still an area where it's possible for them to identify and also realize immediate emission reduction initiatives because there is still a lot of inefficiencies and, and waste in in that supply chain that can be addressed by just having a better insight into you know where did the emissions originate in which ports could we run operations differently uh, is our trading routes uh, optimized, etc. So I think it's still important to have a look at that. It can both save carbon and it can save money. And uh, there's also a business case to this in the uh, sense of marketing, right? Because for every ton of aluminium that you deliver to the end user, uh, there's around 8 to 10 tons of raw material that may have been transported by sea. And if you assume uh, around well, 20 to 50 kilos of CO2 equivalent per ton of cargo, the share of shipping emissions can be up to, uh, well, from 0.2 to 0.7 tons of CO2 equivalent per ton aluminium produced. 
And when you're competing in a low-carbon uh, aluminium market, that's actually quite significant. So by you know having a look at your shipping emissions and uh, initiate initiatives to reduce, you can have an impact on the end on the total carbon footprint that you produce uh, um, that you uh, present to your customers. Mm. For example, in the in the automotive sector, that can be quite uh, quite a competitive edge. But yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. Uh, and if we kind of put this into context, uh, and we look at a Panamax vessel, for example, how much how much energy are we talking about? Yeah. So if uh, if we look at the Panamax size vessel, which is the segment that we uh, operate a lot in uh, in cloud mass, uh on the transatlantic voyage, these typically they carry fuels equivalent to uh, eleven gigawatt hours, and uh, the annual fuel consumption of such a vessel is around eighty eight gigawatt hours which is uh, the annual production of three very large wind turbines. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the overall shipping industry, they can, well, we consume around 300 million tons of fuel oil per year, again, equivalent to Germany's annual energy consumption. So these are very meaningful numbers to address. And the aluminium industry can be a major influencer because, you know, it's around 100 million tons of bauxite that are transported by sea each year. That's just one out of several commodities that is used by the aluminium industry. Yeah, uh, no small numbers. No small numbers <laughs> at all. No. And we also see that uh, within the industry there is an emerging focus on, on scope 3 emissions. And uh, from uh, what we understand, it will also be part of a new standard being uh, launched by an industry association mm-hmm. that aluminium companies need to look at their scope 3. Uh, to meet certain certification uh, criteria. Wow, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, if we if we look at uh, the power of the aluminium industry at the moment, and uh, it's based on this, you know, it has significant procurement power to, to push shipping to decarbonize. Mm-hmm. It has a voice uh, and can use that voice to, to speed up our uh, action, regardless of regulatory agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what can actually be done right now? I mean, without zero emission fuels yet available for deep sea shipping, what other levers can industry players pull on already today to, mm-hmm. to reduce emissions from shipping? Uh, I think the aluminium industry and also other sectors, they have a rather significant procurement power to push shipping to decarbonize today. Uh, as you just mentioned, you know, zero emission fuels, they are not available. Uh, and won't be at scale uh, anytime very soon, uh, at least. So when we look at deep sea, we uh, think that the first thing uh, any responsible actor should do is to get their emission inventory in order. So, you know, one method is to follow the uh, emerging industry standard by using the charter party clause and the template developed by the Sea Cargo Charter to uh, to request information on non-shipping emissions uh, from the operator. We think that's a good way to, to start. And to really see, you know, what what is our footprint from uh, from shipping, to get get an eye on the on the problem. <clears throat> uh, we also think that uh, there's a huge potential for upsizing. Uh, many companies could still, uh, you know, use bigger ships. Bigger is actually better when it comes yeah. to uh, come to emissions. Here, uh, it's one of the two main factors uh, driving fuel consumption is size. And the larger vessels are a lot more efficient than uh, very small vessels. So, uh, you know, uh, we think that the chartering rule of thumb should be to always consider if a bigger uh, vessel could be an option. 
uh, and uh, obviously since we're also on a KTC podcast, to also think about the, the ballasting and how can you minimize that and uh, find trading uh, routes that allows you to reduce that. Yeah, uh, and that is of course why we are here for <laughs> KCC. Exactly. Uh, then we think it's also uh, possible to, for example, look at the fuel switching. Is it a way for uh, you to start, you know, work with more biofuel uh, on board? I think that's uh, it's still something that, you know, many companies have tested it, uh, run pilots. It normally works quite well. Uh, maybe it can be used at uh, at a greater scale, at least in uh, in some areas. And then uh, a thing that we should not forget is that uh, as a as a charter, you can still help incentivize smart operations and uh, give you know proper incentives to perform uh, as efficient as possible. So, for example, uh, look at um, at sustainability clauses in, in contracts and uh, carbon uh, carbon adjustment factors in mm-hmm. uh, in contracts to create the mutual incentives to to uh, reduce emissions. So, a lot of things can be done uh, already while we're waiting for the fuel breakthrough. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about what can be done, that leads into a natural next question, which is what's it going to cost? So, I mean, I've read research from BCG and the World Economic Forum that said that the, the costs of decarbonizing supply chains uh, are surprisingly low uh, and result in a cost to the end consumer of about 1% to 4%. So, me, uh, as someone who is passionate about this, you know, 1% to 4% is... Very small, really, mm-hmm. uh, for the, the things that that I would buy in everyday yeah. life. But what's it going to cost the the producers at the other end? And uh, what what do you think they can expect? You know, a lot of the um, immediate uh, emission reduction uh, levers that we talked about uh, just now. You know, some of them uh, could be net uh, positive, uh, and it's a lot of inefficiencies that uh, at least you won't uh, lose any money on on addressing them. You might uh, save some money. Uh, but then, of course, if you uh, look at uh, fuel switching, for example, either by using biofuel directly in operation or by purchasing scope 3 emission rights from uh, from biofuel uh, usage, that's going to be uh, much more expensive. Uh, it's a huge green premium uh, on, on that uh, type of fuel today. And just buying the scope uh, 3 emissions uh, from uh, biofuel usage will cost you, you know, upwards of $100 per ton of CO2. So that's that's expensive. But uh, I think we would like to emphasize that uh, many of the more operational adjustments you can make, um, upsizing, uh, reduced ballasting, uh, just plan operations in a more efficient manner, use bigger vessels, can actually also help you save costs in the, in the short term, at least. And then if we look into the, the medium term, it's also uh, about preparing for a cost of carbon that will come in, in certain regions. So making adjustments uh, now is, uh, is important. We'll have Shipping being included in the European Emission Trading Scheme as of uh, next year, and that will uh, result in a price on uh, on shipping emissions. And uh, currently, it's around uh, 80 uh, euro per ton mm-hmm. of CO2. But many, of course, expect this price to go up in the years to come. Uh, that will have an impact on uh, on chartering, uh, yeah, obviously. Definitely. And uh, we think that, you know, you can start today, uh, add an internal carbon price to your activities and then weigh the different decarbonization efforts you uh, you consider against that carbon price. Then you're at least prepared for what's, what's coming. So 
I mean, I think we just have to accept that it's all going to be a little bit more expensive, but uh, in the end, it will, uh, it's probably what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I think I just want to talk a little bit about uh, the future here, and I want to talk a little bit about the trends that you've seen. You touched on it a little bit, and it's uh, it, this is getting into my job, the media, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, the Scope 3 trends. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we've looked at these numbers together, and I know you talked a little bit about the numbers in your article as well. Mm-hmm. And I sent you numbers this morning, so this is going to be a test yes. <laughs> <laughs> to see if you uh, if you remember the numbers for the past six months. Mm-hmm. So we, I sent you Q4 2021 and Q2, uh, Q1 2022. Yeah. But uh, let's just start by looking back at the past few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have we seen? In terms of scope through in the media, how, really how much more are people talking about it? A lot more. It's very interesting, right? Because uh, when we start looking at this, it was I think uh, the first search you ran was to look at 2017 numbers. Yeah. And then it was uh, around 1,000 mentions of scope 3 in, uh, in global media. A very small. Very yeah. small number. And in 2020, that had grown to around 15,000 uh, mentions. And we were getting excited at that point. Yes, we were like, wow, this is this is going really fast. And then I think we clocked 41,000 mentions of Scope 3 in 2021. So that's uh, in a really steep acceleration. And uh, I think you will have to remind me of uh, yeah. Q4 numbers. <laughs> I you? thought you might. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you might ask. So Q4 last year was uh, just over 16,000 yeah. uh, just for those three months. And then Q1 this year was almost 21,000. Well, that's exponential growth. Yeah. So this is something that's uh, obviously coming onto the radar of uh, a lot of different stakeholders, not only industrial companies, but also their customers and society at large. Exactly. And that's, uh, I mean, that's half of what we clocked for last year already yeah. in one quarter this year. Mm. And just to explain what that means, it means that uh, this is how many times Scope 3 has popped up in the media in, that, in terms of um, uh, companies engaging on the discussion, action they're taking, and uh, any any mentions related to Scope 3 and shipping is, is what we're picking up. And you know, the, the more companies are pledging uh, net zero, uh, the more companies will have to look at Scope 3 and at least make an assessment to what extent uh, are our scope three footprint, is our Scope 3 footprint uh, substantial and what can we do about it? I think that's... That is a part of best practice net zero strategy work. And that's, see more of it. that's also why you're you're here <laughs> in Greek yes. with uh, with Zero Lab. But uh, what do you what do you think you will see next? I mean, in your crystal ball and in, in the short and the, the uh, as far as forward as you can really see at this moment. You know, I think it's uh, very interesting to see how uh, you know we've we've had several years with a lot of high level target setting. And uh, we are starting to see that this is slowly seeping into also the freight department, right? So uh, different business units are now being uh, asked to deliver towards the company's uh, overarching net zero targets. And that will also impact uh, shipping operations Mm -hmm. to a much larger extent than what's been the case in in, uh, the last years. So I think uh, this is, we've just seen the beginning of a bigger wave uh, where companies, our customers, will have trajectories uh, that uh, we'll need to meet uh, when it comes to, to shipping emissions. And I think that's an interesting, you know, customer-led decarbonization uh, 
journey, uh, so to speak. So I think that will just accelerate. And also with the, with the first reporting being due in the Sea Cargo Charter, where many industrial companies have uh, signed up to disclose how, uh, how many emissions they have from, uh, from shipping annually. I think that's what, that kind of transparency will also uh, just uh, increase the demand for carbon efficient uh, shipping. Mm. And uh, if we just circle a little bit back to Zero Lab, mm -hmm. what's next for the lab? Well, you know, we've uh, spent uh, the last year talking to a lot of different customers and also rolled out an emission monitoring uh, service. And now we are, you know, trying to scale that one. We have uh, several uh, industrial customers on it uh, already. And now we have uh, delivered, you know, a lot of insight into what their emissions are like. And I think uh, what we'd like to do next is to help them reduce them. Mm. Yeah. Can we, can we name the customers? Well, you know, I think it's uh, safe to say that uh, we have uh, we have a strong supporter in uh, Hydro, and that we've already uh, conducted an interesting webinar, which is available on our website. Uh, how, why why do they engage with emission monitoring and land sculpture emissions? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And actually, uh, we do have that interview uh, with Martin, uh, the head of Zero Lab, uh, at that time, interviewing Jan Peder yes. from Hydro Shipping Team. Uh, we have that on the podcast uh, available for people to listen to as well. Okay. So uh, I think we'll we'll leave it at that. But uh, I mean, this is a very interesting topic, obviously, and we, we're going to have you back. We'll go a bit deeper into some future discussions about uh, regulatory agenda and uh, you know what, what what's happening now and what what you think and what you want to see happen uh, mm -hmm. in the future. And maybe we'll learn a little bit more about Zero Lab and we'll learn a little bit more of what you've uh, done to raise the competence around the organization as well mm -hmm. here at Clavenus when it comes to decarbonization, uh, not just on shore but at sea, because I think there's a lot there. And among some of our about. customers as well. It's, uh, it's and customers. Uh, an academy that's also open to, to our customers. Ah, there you go. So, yeah, we should definitely go into that a bit more in the future. But for now, Thanks, Ingrid, for joining us, and uh, we hope to see you back here soon. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you for listening to this episode of Futurebound. We hope you found it useful. For more information about us, head over to the website combinationcarriers.com. There you can get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions regarding the podcast or in general for KCC. If you do like what you hear, then remember to like and subscribe to the podcast, which you can do through Google, Apple, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thanks again, and stay tuned for more to come soon from Futurebound. Bound.